All right, let's uh, go ahead and call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. Please call the roll to establish a quorum. Councilmember Guetta? Here. Councilmember Harris? Here. Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. And Chair Chenier? I am here. Let's go ahead and do the land acknowledgement and the pledge. I believe, Ms. Valenzuela, that's your, okay. your role on this one. <laughs> All right. Please rise for the opening acknowledgement and honor Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Putwin Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Thank you. And now for the pledge, salute and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, Thank you. Thank you very much, Councilwoman. Appreciate that. Let's go ahead on our consent calendar. We have the log, we have correspondence, and we have meeting minutes. Any comments on the consent calendar? I have a brief one on the log, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to inquire about the status of the digital billboard item that I think we've, Councilmember Guerra, Mayor Pro Tem Guerra has been working on. Um, I've been getting outreach from Bird and Lime and a few other stakeholders who'd love to be a part of that process. So I don't know if you have any updates. Okay, we'll get Ms. Hernandez to uh, let you know. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, I'm not sure of the um, status, but I can get an update. Thank you. Sure. I, I did want, I, you know, I had, we've, our office has been in conversation with the departments, but um, I, I will express a bit of a frustration that we've been working at this for now a number of years and uh, with a number, with a, 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 a experiences and, a, and information from other cities. So I, I think we're, we should be at a place where we, we're ready to go. So I'd like to make sure that we get this scheduled and moving forward as soon as possible. All right, let's see if we can get a report back on that to the members of the committee. All right, with that, is there a motion on the consent calendar? Move consent. So I'll second. A motion and a second. All those in favor signify by aye. 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 Do we have to call the roll or can we not do that anymore? Uh, since you're all in person, you do not have to call the roll. We have one to make public comments on the consent calendar. Okay, so we'll hold the, we'll hold the vote for one second. Who is that? Um, Frank Louie. We're taking public comment on the consent calendar. I'm guessing he wants. Frank Louis in on. Zoom. Would you like to speak on the consent calendar? I'm guessing it's item five for Frank. <clears throat> Thank you, Chair. He's not unmuting, so I'd assume it's not for this item. Okay, so let's go ahead and vote again then. So all those in favor signify by aye. Aye. Opposed, abstain, the motion carries unanimously. So we're gonna move to item four, and just as a, a note, I have to leave at two, so I'm hoping we can get through this one at least, and Council Member Guerra, or uh, Pro Tem Guerra, is the Vice Chair of the Committee, and we'll take over for that item when we get there. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, this, is, this is what I like to do. I like to have our staff do the presentation on this. I know that there's a lot of good work that's been done with Local 447 and our staff, and I wanna recognize that and say thank you to both sides of that for sitting down and having those conversations. We have gotten a letter from 447 that is a compromise to where they are. Um, we wanna have a discussion about that. So what I'd like to do is do the staff presentation 
let uh, 447's representative come and uh, talk about the compromise and what they see as, as uh, good. Uh, I'd like to then go back to the staff for any comments that they have on that item, on the compromise, and then we'll go to public comment and then we'll come back to the committee for a discussion on that. So let's go ahead with staff. Bill, how are you? Good afternoon, Chair, members of the committee. My name is Bill Busey, Director of the Department of Utilities. I'm going to introduce this item. Our team is back today to present on a number of follow-up items this committee re requested when we were here in July. Yvette Rincon, my Chief of Staff, is going to present on the follow-up follow items as well as provide our recommendations. Our goal today is to get your approval of our framework and work plan this includes your approval to move forward an ordinance that we feel represents a good first step in balancing the uncertainties from upcoming state regulations, which will be defining treatment requirements for on-site water reuse, new water conservation requirements for commercial buildings, and providing opportunities for the plumbers and pipe fitters workforce. We are also asking for your conceptual approval of our phase two, or phase two of our work plan which includes further study of the cost of on-site treatment and indoor reuse, as well as potential incentive programs. Now, I'll turn the time over to Yvette. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Chair and members of the committee. My name is Yvette Rincon. I'm the Chief of Staff to the Director of Utilities. Thank you for having me here today. Um, once again, the work here is a uh, team effort between the Department of Utilities and um, CDD. So I'll start with a bit of background to remind us where we have been. In June of last year, uh, City Council directed staff to evaluate the feasibility of dual plumbing for commercial buildings as an opportunity to conserve water and create jobs. Soon after, staff worked closely with Local 447 on an RFP to bring a consultant bring on a consultant and we initiated the study in January of 2022. We then presented the findings to this committee um, in July, uh, on July 19th. Uh, just here's the resolution that was adopted last year in June, um, directing staff to work from both CDD and DOU uh, to, to study water conservation standards for buildings. <clears throat> to, so to expedite the work and try to get an ordinance in place as soon as we could, we all agreed to a two-phased approach to this work. Um, this two-phased approach was also identified in our RFP that went out last year and to secure a consultant. Phase one, uh, which we have completed this year, includes the completion of the study and initial ordinance recommendations for dual plumbing. And this is what we brought forward in, in July. Phase two, we propose to start in 2023 and conclude in 2026. In phase uh, two, we will further study, as Bill mentioned, the treatment and operation, operations and maintenance requirements for indoor reuse, as well as study program requirements and incentives. And at the request of 447, we will also include the study of district-wide systems. So back in July when we were here, uh, the committee uh, asked us to follow up on a number of items. Um, first, the committee asked us to do additional outreach. I'm happy to report that we met with Local 447 on three separate occasions between July and, and, uh, and today uh, to hear and understand more their ideas that they were bringing forward to the table. 
We were also able to meet with the Sacramento Builders, uh, Regional Builders Exchange. Uh, the committee also asked us to look, spend a little more time reviewing 447's uh, job impact estimates. They did provide us some information. Uh, so they shared that they surveyed 11 contractors to determine how the new electrification ordinance would impact jobs. Their estimate is what they is that they will experience between 18 and 27 percent reduction in job hours. We would note that their estimate includes work outside the purview of the new building electrification ordinance, including remodels and HVAC replacements to existing buildings, and work on new buildings um, under the state's purview, which are not subject to the new uh, building electrification ordinance. We also found um, two studies, one by UCLA and one by the city of San Diego, that suggest significantly less job impact due to decarbonization policies. So naturally, these studies are not specific to Sacramento. Therefore, to better understand the job impacts here, we would need to commission a study specific to Sacramento. Other items the committee asked us to follow up included requirements for single-family homes. We did find two cities that require pre-plumbing for all new single-family developments for simple gray water systems for outdoor end uses. Um, <clears throat> dual plumbing ordinance of this type would have a different implication for conservation and jobs. Uh, many of the takeaways from our study um, are not applicable to this on-site reuse of gray systems, gray water systems in, in, in single-family homes. We do have a laundry to landscape gray water rebate incentive program currently. Um, has had very little uh, uptake. Um, so in a nutshell, we would probably need more time to study uh, the, the requirements for single-family homes. In terms of multifamily development, staff does not recommend including this building type due to the cost burden on housing development. We would also note that this building type has high rates of gray water flow, meaning complex gray water systems with storage tanks and treatment would be required. Finally, the committee asked us about retrofits. Um, the literature suggests that it's widely, and, it, and it's widely accepted that dual plumbing retrofits are not economically or practically feasible in most cases. Uh, fixture retrofits, such as low flow toilets and shower heads, are regarded as more viable options for existing buildings. Um, further, SB 407 mandates water efficient fixture retrofits for all buildings constructed prior to 1994 when a property is undergoing significant alterations or improvements. And this law was effective in 20, 2017. Okay. So staff's initial recommendation in July for building size was 100,000 square feet. The committee asked that we investigate lower building sizes. As you may recall, we looked at the number of buildings built in the past and those planned in the future. While the numbers of new buildings being built is low, we have since considered the construction valuation and feel that's a good indicator of job creation. Construction valuation is the estimated total cost of building construction, including all electrical, mechanical, plumbing, and permanently fixed equipment. While buildings of 100,000 square feet or larger account for only 7% of the total number of buildings, commercial buildings being built, they account for 58% of the total construction valuation, which suggests that the job impact of very large buildings is significant. Buildings of 50,000 square feet or larger account for 75% of total construction valuation. This table provides an average construction valuation per project. Um, so you see that buildings of 100,000 square feet or larger, the valuation per project is approximately 30.7 million. 
for buildings between 50,000 and 99,000 square feet, it's approximately 10.5 million. Again, this is just another uh, indicator for job impact per project. If we move to, re to a requirement of 50,000 square feet for commercial buildings, we capture 76% of the commercial valuation of projects. A quick update on SB 966, which requires the State Water Board to adopt regulations on, for on-site treatment and indoor reuse. When we were here last in July, we expected to see a draft of the regs by August, early August is what we were told by the state. We just recently heard from their staff that they are delayed in their regulation development. They plan to complete their process by the end of this year. However, according to their staff, it may be delayed by up to a year. These regulations are important to our process because should we implement a program, we will be required to adopt the and follow the regulations set forth by the water, by the water board. We feel this is an important not to get ahead of the state's regulatory process. So I'll move to staff's recommendation today. Again, we have a, one, a phase one and a phase two recommendations for the committee's consideration. Staff's recommendation for phase one is to require dual plumbing for the capture and reuse of gray water for outdoor irrigation only for certain com commercial building, new commercial buildings. Treatment is not required for gray water reuse for outdoor drip irrigation, and it is excluded through the state regulation process for treatment purposes. While the current code allows for the capture and reuse of gray water for outdoor irrigation and indoor toilet flushing, we are not recommending the requirement of reuse of gray water for indoor toilet flushing, again, because we do not want to get ahead of the state regulation process. Should the developer come in and want to reuse gray water for toilet flushing, it is allowed. However, we will caution them that state regulations for indoor water use are currently underway. So without knowing the full extent of these state regs, we do not know yet the full requirements of indoor, for indoor reuse of water. In terms of building uh, criteria, uh, we recommend new, new commercial non-residential buildings. Uh, as you may recall, our initial recommendation for building threshold was 100,000 square feet. We are now recommending 50,000 square feet or greater. We recommend specific limited exemptions such as daycare facilities, grocery stores, buildings and buildings with low fixture density such as warehouses. In terms of timeline, we recommend bringing the draft ordinance to law and ledge in November, then to city council for adoption on December 6th. We also re recommend an effective date of July 1 of 2023. This allows for a six month period of outreach and notice to developers on the new requirements and allows time for the building division to develop policies and procedures for implementation. We are recommending that in phase two, we further study the treatment, testing, and operations and maintenance requirements, potential programmatic incentives, and city and county roles and responsibilities, which are all, all needed to implement a full program. In order to do this work, we need the state regulations to be completed and adopted at the state level. For this reason, the soonest we feel we could kick off this work would be the summer of 2023. While there is little data available on treatment, operations, and maintenance costs for on-site indoor reuse, it suggests that these costs could be significant. In phase two, we will take the time to further dig into these costs before bringing forward a recommendation on indoor water reuse requirements for commercial buildings. 
Our plan is to present the ordinance revisions to this committee in 2025 for an effective date of early 2026, which is in alignment with the electrification work. I will conclude by noting that our recommendations today attempt to balance additional water conservation requirements for new commercial buildings while creating job opportunities for the plumbers and pipefitters. That concludes my pres presentation. Thank you. Thanks, Yvette. Appreciate that. So, Tom, do you want to come on up and talk about where you guys are? Thank you. Uh, my name is Tom Anslow. I'm an attorney for the Plumbers Local 447, as well as for the California State Pipe Trades Council. I actually helped draft the San Francisco ordinance that mandates the use of uh, gray water in buildings or groups of buildings that total greater than 100,000 square feet. And I've been working in uh, uh, other jurisdictions on, on the statewide level on gray water and water reuse treatment uh, issues for over a decade and also represent IATMO, which uh, is a publisher of the uh, California Plumbing Code, which you know, has the requirements in there for gray water and for on-site treatment. All those building requirements are already in the code, which is why we see these being built around the state already. The SB 966 updates that, you, uh, that were referred to, that's just updating current regulations as far as the treatment, basically you know, um, the, the, treatment, the treatment requirements. And um, really, from my understanding, what it might do is actually expand it from the NSF 350 to also allow performance-based and, and uh, um, making sure uh, we have a statewide kind of standard for how you test it. Um, it's, it's just like updating any of the codes. It, it doesn't have any cause to delay any requirements. It hasn't delayed San Francisco from their requirements. They just will have to follow it in the future. And, and, and those should be uh, up and running before any projects in Sacramento would uh, be subject to this um, ordinance. Um, Local 447 went into this process looking to replicate the San Francisco ordinance, but, but it quickly became evident we needed a broader approach because in San Francisco, there's only six new commercial buildings a year that are over 50,000 square feet in size. It's a different market than San Francisco, which has a lot of large buildings. So Local 447 proposed a tiered approach in which we, our, our initial proposal was have every commercial building over 50,000 square feet mandate that they have on-site water treatment and dual plumb for you know, the toilets, urinals, trap drains, cooling towers, all the non-portable uses. And that then for buildings from 20,000 square feet to 50,000 square feet, those non-residential buildings, have them dual plumb to be ready to use either recycled water or treated gray water uh, um, down the line when either the treatment becomes uh, more cost-effective as these things become more common or recycled water becomes available. And keep in mind, these buildings are in use. Once they're built, they're in use for 60, 80, sometimes 100 years. And, you know, by 2050, we're going to have two-thirds of the water that we have now. You know, that, that's the projections. Um, so we need to make these buildings, we need to build buildings now that are ready to use, reuse water in the future, you know, um, because the drought's here and it's gonna get worse and worse. Um, our, our other proposal for that tiered is also for all non-residential buildings over 10,000 square feet, 
with landscaping require them to do those simpler gray water irrigation systems, which you don't treat it, you just collect it, and then it's used for um, below ground drip irrigation. Uh, staff's proposal essentially you know, rejects all, 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 all of these tiers. It kind of takes them, takes the weakest part of each of those requirements, and, and they require buildings over 50,000 square feet to be pre-plumbed just for an untreated gray water system. So keep in mind that's only six buildings a year, only would require a few additional drain waste, drain waste lines, uh, wouldn't require any plumbing to, uh, uh, dual plumbing to toilets or um, urinals and things like that. And it would not even require the way it's written, it doesn't even require these six buildings to use the untreated gray water for irrigation. That, that, that proposal in, in the report just requires them to be pre-plumbed. So, you know, this doesn't really save water. It certainly doesn't create jobs that would replace the jobs being lost from the electrification uh, um, uh, uh, ordinance. And, um, you know, we think we can do better. So, you know, we, we hear their concerns uh, about, um, they want to know more about some of the cost of the treatment and they want to see what the treatment standards are. So we're proposing a compromise position. We think it's reasonable, will save water, create jobs, and would only impose nominal additional cost in buildings in the short term. So this proposal requires all non-residential buildings over 50,000 square feet or larger to be pre-plumbed to allow capture of gray water and allow the use of non-potable water for toilets and urinals and cooling towers. And what this does, it then, you know, it allows, you know, you know, down the line when we have incentives for them to add in a gray water treatment uh, system where these things become uh, cheaper or they just want to do the right thing or 40 years from now we mandate it and it's too expensive to do a plumb, you know, they're all ready to do it. Um, and then second, all non-residential buildings, 10,000 square feet or over that have irrigated uh, landscape and should install a gray water system, which, which frankly should be a requirement for all new buildings regardless of size because those systems are pretty cheap. You're just adding in a, 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 a secondary waistline that goes outside you're already irrigating, it's not really additional irrigation costs. Um, it's, it's kind of the least we can do to make sure our buildings are saving water. And then in longer term, we, we, we kind of going on their uh, proposal in this phase two, uh, beginning in 2023, let's start developing a proposal that by 2026, we'll actually mandate on-site gray water uh, treatment in buildings over a certain size. Um, adopt an incentive program to maybe help buildings that were pre-plumbed to actually now install these systems, and uh, commit to work with regional sanitation to, to explore providing recycled water, which is actually the, cheap, the, the easier way to do it, so then you don't need an on-site treatment for building reuse. And so we think that that compromise position, it, it, it actually saves water, actually creates jobs. It, the most expensive part of all this is treatment, and so we are, proposing, okay, let's not do treatment in the first phase, let's do treatment in the second phase, but let's do a plumb because as you heard, you can't really retrofit these buildings after the fact. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, actually, let's, let's go ahead to public comment. Do we, we have a few people in the chambers and do we have anybody online? Yes, I do have a few people in chambers and I believe one online at least. First is Todd Shivago, then Tom Enslow. I think Tom's done now. Good afternoon, Chair and committee members. Uh, my name is Todd Schiavo. 
I'm the business manager of Plumbers and Pipefitters Local 447 and the president of the Sacramento Sierra Building Trades Council. I'm here today to speak about the upcoming electrification ordinance and the proposal to include water conservation and reuse as an integral part of this ordinance. We have been working with the city uh, in excess of two years on this particular policy and at the very beginning, um, Local 447 came to the city as a collaborative partner to see if we could do something together on a larger scale that helped mitigate job losses um, due to the move away from natural gas installations and new construction and offer beneficial and necessary solutions that are responsible to not only the environment, but to the members that would be losing their jobs and make an effort to mitigate those job loss hours to an entire trade sector, thus providing a just transition. Honestly, most people that heard that 447 was working with the city on um, the electrification uh, portion really wondered how we could do that because they realized all around, I mean, e even environmental groups realized that there would be job losses and they would be immediate. So they asked how could we actually support this when it had impacts to our membership? And the answer is pretty simple. Um, you know, we understand the importance of reducing greenhouse gases and being better stewards of our environment. We agreed that we could lean into this policy as long as the job impacts were acknowledged and we could provide a just transition by way of dual plumb construction that would facilitate water reuse, harvesting, preservation, and reduce energy consumption to treat and convey water that had only been used one time. In 2021, the city committed to 447 that it would pass a companion ordinance that it would mandate dual plumbing. Since that time, Local 447 has partnered with several environmental groups, which is also an unprecedented move. In fact, one of those Keep groups your comments. Was, your time is complete. Will you make your final comment, please? I urge you to vote in support of um, the compromised agreement that 447 proposed. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Next speaker is Rob Fong, then Frank Louie. Good afternoon, uh, council members. It's uh, strange and nice to be back in chambers with you. Um, so basically, just here to urge you to support the, uh, the compromise uh, position, but I, I wanted to kind of help you step back and look at the big picture. So a couple of things, it's sort of not that common for a building trades to be working with environmental groups. Um, so I, I, I want you to uh, appreciate that that's an interesting, thoughtful alliance. The second thing is, is um, the, the way, I know it's rained a little bit for the last couple of days, but I think everyone recognizes that we are in a water poor situation and it's, uh, and it's not gonna be ending anytime soon. Um, and, and so we really need to be responsibly, not only addressing kind of the air quality with the electrification ordinance, but I think at the same time, we saw a potential for a win-win here because um, if we could at the same time mandate water saving technologies in, in our built environment going forward, uh, it would help us start to address the, the, the water shortage as well. So from our standpoint, if you think about this, and um, we draw water out of the Sacramento River, we, we spend a lot of money treating it, and then we send it to all the end users here in the city, and everyone uses it once, pretty much, right? And then it goes down the drain, and it goes back through the sewer system, uh, out to regional sanitation where it's treated to a high level and then put back in the river. That's our loop, that's our cycle. And it would be, I think, way more efficient and responsible to start to mandate those infrastructures that would allow that water to be used a couple of times or multiple times before it's sent back to the river. 
And so that's really what we're asking you to consider here. Uh, and, and as Tom said earlier, if, if we don't put in the infrastructure to accept recycled and on-site on water treatment, we're never gonna, we're never gonna go backwards, right? And so it, the, if we can mandate that in building going forward now, we're putting the infrastructure in to not only work with the gray water now, but to be in a position to like really- Keep um, your comments, your time is complete. Will you make your final comment, please? Going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Give your comments. Next speaker is Tim Murphy. Tim Murphy, if you'll unmute. Great, thank you. My name is Tim Murphy. I'm the Chief Executive Officer for the Sacramento Regional Builders Exchange. We are a commercial construction association serving the greater Sacramento region with more than 900 members. I certainly want to say uh, how much I appreciate the outreach from Yvette and the utility staff in discussing our questions and concerns as this proposed ordinance moves forward. Uh, I agree with Mr. Fong that water conservation and recycling is critically important. Uh, and for my organization, I also agree with Mr. Schiavo that recovering jobs for the hardworking plumbers and pipefitters who will lose work to decarbonization requirements is also of critical importance. I appreciate the opportunity to offer SRBX perspectives today. We are not opposed to phase one steps, but we do remain concerned with issues on phase two of treatment and operation and maintenance costs. I also have concerns with city adoption uh, moving ahead of the county. It's our belief that uniform execution of these policies across the region creates a level and more predictable playing field for developers, which in turn creates a more level and predictable employment field for our members who build those projects. But I want to say that I appreciate the opportunity for SRBX to participate as a stakeholder for phase two, and I look forward to addressing these concerns and uh, just uh, reiterate that we have no opposition and support phase one. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Frank Louie and then Randy Young. Frank Louie, if you'll unmute. Let's go to Randy Young. Good afternoon, City Council. I'm Randy Young with the Sheet Metal Workers, and I, I urge you also to support the compromised agreement between 447 and the city. I am, I work with a lot of IOUs in the state of California, and they have a document that's governing a lot of the energy retrofit work, that it requires workforce standards and training. And I would refer, or I would like the City Council to at least review decision 18-10.008 from Judge Julie Fitch that requires uh, apprentices being used on these projects and journeymen as well, who have served uh, state approved apprenticeship programs. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Frank Louie. Hi, can you hear me okay? We can. Okay, I apologize. I've been having technical difficulties. Uh, Frank Louie, uh, of our partnership. Uh, just a, a comment on the electrification. Understandably, you know, we appreciate work and working uh, with us on trying to craft uh, the electrification plans that counterbalances the concern of our restaurants, uh, as well as you know, uh, our, our commitment to low greenhouse gas emissions. And again, you know, I know that. Uh, in a perfect world, you know, we would get a permanent exemption. Uh, understand, you know, to uh, work uh, within the confines of this ordinance. But if the technology is not readily available by uh, the time of 2020, uh, 
companies really feel, uh, like to uh, for getting an extension uh, as you know technology uh, uh, becomes readily available. Um, thank you. Thank you for your comments. I'm sure I have no more speakers. Okay, great. Thank you to the members of the public and everyone in the chambers who spoke. Let's go ahead, um, Council Member Guerra. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I think you had asked uh, staff to respond to. Yvette, do, do you want to do that at this point? Any comments? Sorry, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, so I just want to uh, extend my appreciation to 447 and, and the Builders Exchange for being available to work with us on this um, throughout this process. Uh, in terms of response to the uh, compromise put forward in terms of phase one, I will say that our position is that we, we expect to implement a full program, but in due time. Um, our position is we, we do not want to get ahead of the state regulations. Um, for phase one, we want to recommend that we implement the uh, gray water system for irrigation, outdoor irrigation. However, as a compromise, we're willing to bring forward an, an ordinance, or not an ordinance, I'm sorry, a resolution for the committee to, to state our, our commitment to the phase two, which addresses all of the concerns that have been brought forward by 447. Uh, and in a due time after the state regulations have been adopted so that we can, our concern is in moving ahead of the state regulation is that if, should our, our program not be in compliance with the states, it will cause some rework or extra cost to the developers to be, to come into compliance with the, those recommendations. Great, thank you. So let, Yvette, let me just ask a question and then I'll turn it over to Pro Tem Gira. So it seems to me from listening to this and, and this committee has been at this issue for quite a while now. And I assume, even though the committee will look very different, that this committee will continue to be uh, married to this issue for quite a while. Um, but, but it seems to me that the, the issue here is not what we do, it's when we do it, right? So the, the difference in opinion about what the state regs may or may not do is the basic point of controversy. Is that fair? Correct. We don't. We have not even seen the draft regulations to date. Right, and and Mr. Enslow was saying he he believes it's kind of just an updating version where this may be more than update, and we don't know what that is. Correct. That's not our understanding. Okay, go ahead, uh, Pro Tem, and we'll we'll come back to this. First, I'll say you know I want to thank our staff and and also those at. At four, our, uh, our, our residents who are members of Local 447 for uh, willing to sit down and, and try to find a real solution here. I mean, I think that's what we need to be doing more often. I mean, too often I think we get positioned in situations where people anchor down and put their heels in and, um, and then are less interested in making a, finding an outcome. And there's no question, I think, you know, that we just went through two weeks of extreme heat and um, you know, just saw the where we really are. Um, I got caught in the rain yesterday, you know, uh, knocking on doors and watched the street flood really quickly. But you know what? That all all went down through the drain and into the river, and that and that water's gone. And so, I think the the uh, understanding of what our real circumstance is and where we're going and what it's like and um, about our our water crisis. And I I just uh, every time we talk about water, I I remember when our well collapsed when I was a kid. And we went four, mo four months without water, and that was that was a that was a tough situation. Um, and the thing I think that uh, that we're all trying to grapple with here is, is making sure that 
we're planning ahead for the future. So in future generations, we, uh, we're getting ahead of this now and to the point that was made. When we build a building, it stands for years to come. And, uh, and you know, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, in the future when our water crisis happens, we're going to pay for it. So either we pay for it now or we're going to figure out how to pay for it later at a much higher cost. Uh, and then at, at what cost to also to our own residents too. The, um, uh, and I think the, the impact to workers, the just transition, I, I also want to recognize Frank Louie's comments about the impact to our, our small business owners as we move forward, the just transition I think is important to, to make sure that we keep in the forefront of, of this conversation. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen this you know, happen so often that, um, that I, the concern that the staff rec is, is bringing up about our draft regulations uh, moving too quickly and getting ahead of the state, uh, I can appreciate that, I, I do. And, uh, but um, you know, at the same time, I, <laughs> I also know that that it takes time for us to even move at, all, at the aggressive pace we want sometimes. Uh, so I, I'm less concerned about um, you know, us uh, uh, when we have the ability to control our own throttle. If in fact, as we're moving through this regulatory process, we see that uh, there are significant roadblocks at the state, we, can, we have the ability to control our speed at that point you know, and to make sure that we, we're making those decisions. But I, I fear that the more we delay and the more we, you know, uh, not engage in, in actually drafting these regulations, the, the, the further are we're going to get. And one, what, what, what could happen is we have a situation where the electrification ordinance comes in and it makes a major disruption uh, in our workforce here too. So to me, I, I think that the, the thoughtful response here by local 447 uh, and their compromise proposal um, you know, puts in, um, you know, and it seems to me that what, what I hear from staff is that the phase two component we, uh, we can all agree on. So I think we should be moving forward in drafting a resolution for phase two uh, and making sure we're doing the stakeholder process, bringing in the Sacramento Regional Builders Exchange and other entities that are involved in that and immediately going in on that. Um, to the chairman's point, you know, uh, we're, we're at this point now where uh, what do we do about uh, the first part? Uh, and, and I have to agree, I think at this point, that, that, that we need to start moving forward in that direction. And Sacramento showing some leadership um, will, I, in my opinion, I think will guide the state and their drafting of their regulations on, on, um, uh, on, the, on, on how things are moving forward. Uh, and I do have a question for Tom here. I mean, it, um, is the State Pipe Trades Council not involved in and also commenting and engaged in the state regulatory process? Sorry, could you repeat the question? Is the State uh, Pipe Trades Council also engaged in the drafting of the regulatory process? Are you guys are in constant conversation? Yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I am on behalf of the California State Pipe Trades Council involved in that process, yes. And, and with our, just a clarification, with our compromise position, we're not requiring treatment systems right away. We're just requiring dual plumbing of the piping. That's in the code. That's not something that would be affected by those regulations. Those regulations are talking about how do you treat that water once you collect it and, and what levels and how often do you actually test it. That's correct. And the treatment, the treatment systems could be external to the building, could be whatnot, but it's, it's actually once you put the pipe in and you seal up the walls, and, you know, put the flooring in. That, that's where, therein lies the challenge. Therein exactly. lies the disruption. So, 
so I think, you know, we, we, you know, our proximity here to the state, our relation, inter relationships, our ability to work cooperatively together and the process of information, I feel comfortable in trying to, to move forward uh, with this timeline here. And, and if we get into a situation where the, we're seeing a divergence in regulations, I, we have the ability here again to control our tempo. So with that, Mr. Chair, I, I'll, uh, I'll uh, make a motion to uh, give staff direction to move with the, uh, the compromise recommendation. Okay, Mr. Harris. Thank you, Chair. Um, I have a little bit of take on this whole discussion. Um, a couple things I wanna mention First, I, I do appreciate all the work that staff has put in, uh, you know, doing discovery about the job loss aspect and also about the potential job gain aspect. But what we do with water and reuse in buildings is actually critical. So in our region, we have a $2 billion state-of-the-art tertiary treatment wastewater plant. If you think that the water that we put down the drain doesn't get a second use, you're wrong and tertiary treatment, it will be placed back in the river in a very pristine condition and much of that water will be put into the state and federal water project and used for agricultural uses or shipped to other municipalities for treatment again. Additionally, we have the harvest water project which will recycle about 50,000 acre feet of wastewater per year coming out of regional sand to be used for agriculture. So uh, the water will not be wasted if it goes down our drain pipes. With that in mind, I think the highest and best use of reuse of water within buildings is actually using gray water to uh, flush toilets and urinals because then it will all go down to regional sand and attain these secondary uses again. So I like that and I tend to agree with the plumbers and pipe fitters that Plumbing, dual plumbing now is a good idea. In terms of what sort of treatment would have to happen to that gray water to use it for indoor uses like that, there's probably more discussion. It depends what kind of use you want to do. If it's just flushing toilets and urinals, correct me if I'm wrong, Yvette, but does it take treatment or you just don't know what the state regs will bring? Currently code does require for treatment of that. However, this, the state regulatory process is looking at that and, and, and gonna be publishing new um, treatment requirements for that. What I don't know is how close those treatment requirements are today's standards versus what they're going to be recommending. So there are two data points missing here that I would really like to see. Uh, one is regional sand during dry periods and droughts like this has minimal flow requirements for their plant. I brought this up in our briefing when you guys were in my office. And this is something that we have to pay great attention to. If, say, we siphon off too much gray water and use it for irrigation purposes, if we cause stress to our regional sand component, that is not a win. That is not a win. So uh, that piece, I believe, has to be taken into consideration. You know, I sit on the regional sand board, have for eight years, and as we started adopting more and more low flow toilets, there were periods where there was not significant flow to regional sand and they got into a little bit of trouble a couple of times. So I urge you to talk to regional sand and figure this piece out. So it's an important piece of this puzzle. Again, if you dual plumb and you use that water 
in-house and it all goes down to regional SAM, that actually helps in that particular instance. Another thing that uh, I don't think you looked at is the effect of sur surfactants on soil chemistry and um, the geology. It's my opinion, and I have read a bit about this, that if you put too much surfactant into you know, subsurface irrigation, you can actually cause harm to soil structure. You know, I'm an avid gardener, and I would never put surfactants in the water on my garden, certainly not on the plants you know, that I use for vegetables and for human consumption. It's not a bad idea, you know, and in the short term, you won't see detrimental effects, but there are studies about this and pretty extensive journal articles that I just started to get into. I think that has to be considered as well. There's a third aspect too, which is just capturing stormwater runoff and uh, making better use of that, and I'm not sure that you've considered that in this ordinance as well. So another piece is, you know, and certainly if this ever gets to the residential component, a lot of water is wasted uh, trying to get hot water to the tap. And of course, recirculation pumps can aid with that, but not that many places have research pumps. And my question is, is there an ordinance currently that any new big commercial building has to have recirculation hot water research pumps? Maybe the plumbers can tell me. Well, just empirically speaking, you know, again, thinking about residential in the future, you know, like right now, when I wait for my shower to heat up, I capture that water in a bucket and I use it to, to pour on my plants. Uh, I could solve that with a recirculation pump. And at some point, you know, maybe we would require recirculation pumps in all new construction. It's not a bad idea, and it would give more work to the plumbers as well. So these are considerations that I feel really should be addressed before we move an ordinance forward. If the state regulations are gonna come out at the, t at the turn of the year, three months out, I fail to see the need to pursue this ordinance before we're ready to deal with the uh, treatment component. I agree with you know the plumbers that dual plumbing before you seal up these buildings is imperative. If we're gonna go down that road, you certainly want to get that plumbing in place. And again, I think that's the highest and best use of recycled water in, you know, in-house, indoors for those uses. And it won't harm regional sand at the same time. I think that uh, these are pretty important considerations. Another piece of information I'd really like to have is for per square foot, what would be the average number of gallons that could be captured for irrigation use? Because that metric would help you understand what water is not going down to regional sand. So personally, I think this needs more work and it could be done in a fairly short time. I, I just don't feel the need to pass an ordinance until we know what the state regs are gonna be. But if we do pass an ordinance, I would like to see dual plumbing involved in phase one because that's something you can't go back on. And I, again, for the third time, I'll say I think the highest and best use of recycled water is indoors. 
because we'll keep our flows to regional sand, that water will all get reused for some good purpose, whether it's environmental or agricultural. So with, the, with, with that in mind, um, my preference is not to move forward at this time with the ordinance, to give it three months, figure out the treatment part, and incorporate when you come back a dual plumbing component. Thank you, Jeff. Council Member Valenzuela. Thank you, and um, I do intend to second the Pro Tim's motion. I've got a couple of um, additional pieces of guidance, but I do want to also start, as my colleagues have, with recognizing staff um, and all the 447 and the other stakeholders that have been so deeply engaged in this. This was quite a, a pivot when you thought you were just doing an electrification ordinance, and we said, hey, we care about water and jobs, too. So I really want to applaud you all for embracing this and bringing back a proposal that I think is, is almost there. And, and I do agree with 447's comments and recommendations. Um, I think that it was very thoughtful of you to be um, to kind of separate out what might change under 966 implementation from what you know you can do now. And I agree that um, time is of the essence um, when it comes to these issues. And having participated in many, many a state regulatory process, too many to, that I care to remember, um, they do usually take current practice in local jurisdictions into account when they're looking at these regulatory processes. So I want to echo what the pro Tim said to that regard that I think we could help influence those regulations and be a really active stakeholder with the plumbers in that process, and, and I look forward to, to that. Um, so I also want to applaud you all and the plumbers for making serious concessions, because I have to say one of my outstanding issues with this, as much as you all are supporting it, and I'm glad to support you in that, is that these jobs might not kick in until six months after the electrification ordinance takes effect. Um, and that is a pretty significant concession and one that I'm not sure we need to make. Um, specifically, when I talk to staff, you know, I've been looking at this in context of existing building retrofits. And I know that we have secured some funding for a pilot project in Oak Park. I know SMUD is in the process of scoping pilots in Gardenland and Meadowview as well. And that's a significant amount of resources that if used well, if coupled with maybe the $10 million in workforce development money we have from ARPA, we could create a real program to start creating more plumber jobs through those retrofits as well as other union jobs as well. When we're looking at HVAC, we're looking at weatherization, we're looking at electrical upgrades, this could be a really significant job generator that could take effect more quickly than the July 1st timeline for this dual plumbing ordinance because I also respect that you can't have builders pivot on day one of an ordinance, that you need a few months to go out there and let people change their plans and make their adjustments so that they can include it. So. My additional direction, if the pro tem is open to it, <laughs> would be um, to direct the staff to meet with the labor unions and community stakeholders before they begin a pilot in Oak Park um, to try to achieve as much job benefit as we can in those initial pilots and to also include SMUD so that we can bring their pilots under that umbrella and see how much we can do when it comes to faucet upgrades, other upgrades in the homes to reduce, both improve the community benefit because we'll be reducing their bills, increasing their resiliency, but we could also create a lot of additional plumber pipe fitter jobs in the meantime while we're looking at this other work. Um, and then my second addition, based on what um, Councilmember Harris just said, is I do think in phase two, it would be great to look at stormwater capture. I think that is a really great addition, and if we could include that, obviously not in the near-term ordinance, because that's a whole additional um, level of work there, but if we could start looking at stormwater capture in the second phase of this dual plumbing, that would be really wonderful. So those are my two pieces of direction. Um, first, to meet with labor to design um, some sort of workforce benefit in these pilot projects and to collaborate with SMUD to that end um, before we begin those 
those pilots in Oak Park and in other communities. Um, and also, and I hope the chair is okay with that because that's obviously in your district and I didn't get a chance to check in with you first, um, but also to look at stormwater capture in phase two. What say you, Pro Tem? It, because they're in uh, the chairman's uh, district, I'm I'm gonna let him comment on that because I don't I don't necessarily have anything opposed to that. And but uh, no, I don't make that's fine. So let let me see if we can do something here. And we have a motion and a second on the floor. And I want to be respectful of the work you've done and the work that you have to do. And I also want to be very respectful of our community partners and our labor partners. So this is really important, and it's not something that's going to go. As you said, we can't go backwards once we make some decisions here, but we can, and sometimes incremental policy making is the best way to do it because we have so many unknowns here, particularly with the regulations. So what I'd like to do, and, and I think this is review and comment, we can do a motion if we wanna do a motion, but I think the direction that, that I would like us to move forward on is that you all take the compromise and prepare an ordinance as you need to do it, as well as a resolution but I want to give you guys time to continue working with 447. We're, we're, we should be of the same mind here. What I've heard very clearly is that we all need to get to the same place. And Todd, I want to thank you for that because I think it's really important when we think about water use of where we are and where we're going. Um, as much as I don't want to do another law and ledge hearing on this, I, I want to do another law and ledge hearing. So I'd love for you guys to continue working together if I can ask you to do that. Um, and I'm seeing nodding heads over here, but but doing the preparation work you need to do based on the compromise in doing an ordinance and doing a resolution. And we'll come back one more time to see if we can make this happen with, with the direction. With the direction, you thank you. I was just Absolutely. gonna check on that, and, thank you. And, th and that was part of the, when the motion was to have staff draft the, re the resolution. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it, it would have to, Mr. I mean, uh, Councilmember Harris, it would have to still come back yeah. to us before so, we move forward on that. So let me add direction that they have a substantive conversation with regional SAN about flow needs and how I, I this think might regional, affect all of that. Regional SAN, bring bring Ms. Mur Mr. Murphy in this. The, the stakeholders that have the biggest stake in this need to be at the table as we go forward on this. It's too important. But I would like us to try to get this done while this committee is still intact. I can't imagine starting over with another group of people. Um, yeah. You'll be the only one that's. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just want to add though, Cherry, I think it's just, for me, this is intricately linked to item five here. Like I am not comfortable moving forward with the January one if we don't have a plan for this. So um, so I want to make sure that that just stays in scope sure. um, as we're moving forward at Lawn Lunch. Yvette, does this make sense? It does, I just want to make one clarification if you guys are okay with that, is uh, we had initially recommended excluding um, or exempting daycare facilities, grocery stores, and buildings with low plumbing fixtures, uh, low density fixtures. Are yeah, you, I, uh, I have no objection to that. I mean, a lot of warehouse spaces, they've got one or two toilets yep. at the moment. So I think let's, 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 let's get something going first and then we can, but I, I think we'd like to see the cost benefit of doing Yeah, that. I was just gonna add that, because I mean, there is a lot of work that's been done on the potential cost savings in developments when you're not putting natural gas installations in. So I think before we make the conclusion that requiring water savings would be at a cost detriment to those projects, I'd love to see that um, analysis be done so that we can make sure we're actually making policy based on a documented issue um, and not um, on a concept. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and, and again, we, I think on behalf of all of us, we really want to thank you and, and all the staff. This is, we're, we're kind of making this up as we go along. Uh, I, I understand where San Francisco is, but we're not San Francisco. 
right. and we are Sacramento and we need to do what's right for our own community. So with that, we look forward to seeing you again. Just uh, one Bill? quick clarification. Yeah. So this would, we're targeting the, uh, an L&L in, yep. in uh, November. November. Yep. Is there just one? Uh, there may be more. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And so we'll want to. We'll figure it out with if, you. If I could just, I mean, and for me, it's important that this hearing happen before council considers the final electrification okay. ordinance. So that's, I just want to make sure the sequencing doesn't get lost there. Okay. Thank you. And so the, we'll ask Consuelo to help us with that. And to the chair's point, I think that it's important that we get some, this ordinance to a position where it's at the council before there's a shift on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've done too much work on this, so. Yeah. Okay, thank you, and my apologies, I gotta go. I'm gonna turn this over to Mr. Guerra. Great, thank you. We're pretty clear on that, so. Okay, we'll go ahead and move on, Madam Clerk. We'll move on to the next item, and I'll move my laptop while we get all set up here, too. Thank you. Item five is an ordinance deleting chapter 15.30 and amending chapter 15.38 of the Sacramento City Code to adopt local amendments to the California Building Standards Code relating to new building electrification. All right. Good afternoon, Chair and members of the Law and Legislation Committee. I'm Matt Hurdle with the Community Development Department. On June 1st, 2021, City Council adopted the new building electrification ordinance which adopted local amendments to the California Building Standards Code. However, the California Building Standards Code is on a three-year cycle. And when Council adopted the new building electrification ordinance last year, the 2019 California Building Standards Code was in effect. The 2022 California Building Standards Code was published on July 1st and goes into effect on January 1, 2023. For the new building electrification ordinance to be enforceable, it must be readopted to align with the 2022 California Building Standards Code. Last month, on August 16th, this committee reviewed the proposed framework for the updated ordinance. And today, staff recommends the committee review the updated ordinance and pass a motion forwarding it to City Council for consideration. The new building electrification ordinance established phased requirements for the electrification of new building construction. Starting on January 1, 2023, newly constructed buildings of three stories or less will need to be built as all electric. Then, on January 1, 2026, new, uh, newly constructed buildings of four stories or more will need to be built as all electric. The ordinance also includes three off-the-shelf limited exemptions until January 1, 2026, allowing gas piping for restaurant cooking equipment and gas piping for manufacturing process loads and for water heating and regulated affordable housing where virtual net energy metering is unavailable. The ordinance also provides for an infeasibility waiver process for portions of newly constructed buildings that are demonstrated to be infeasible as all electric. The updated ordinance also uh, includes some minor revisions to the ordinance adopted in June 2021 to align with the requirements of the 2022 California Building Standards Code. Before we get into the specifics of the new building electrification ordinance, I want to take a moment to clarify the applicability of the new building electrification ordinance and how it differs from the longer term effort of retrofitting existing buildings to all electric. On June 1st, 2021, along with the adoption of the new building electrification ordinance, council directed staff to establish a framework for existing building electrification. Since December, staff and consultant team have been gathering data, conducting modeling, and conducting outreach for the electrification of the existing buildings. It'll be a long-term strategy document that outlines an equitable approach for retrofitting the city's building stock 
over the next few decades. It is important to note that the existing buildings and existing businesses can continue to operate as normal, and there's no currently no ordinance or electrification requirement for existing buildings. I will now walk through the revisions to the ordinance as shown in attachment two of the staff report. The first revision pertain, pertains to the local amendment process. The ordinance adopted last year was a local amendment to the energy code section of the 2019 California Building Standards Code. Based on lessons learned from other jurisdictions making similar local amendments, we recommend adopting the ordinance as a local amendment to the Green Standards Code or Cal Green section of the 2022 California Building Standards Code. The updated ordinance has simplified and clarified the definitions of an all electric building and mixed fuel building by removing references to a specific equipment and application or appliances. And for consistency with the plumbing and mechanical code, the ordinance now uses the term fuel gas instead of natural gas or propane. In addition, the updated ordinance clarifies the definition for an all electric building that essential facilities such as police and fire stations are permitted to use emergency backup systems. In April 2021, City Council adopted new electric vehicle charging requirements that were above and beyond the state requirements. However, the state's 2022 building code that goes into effect on January 1 is much more stringent than the city's EV charging requirements. Therefore, the updated ordinance removes this chapter of the city code and will require new development to comply with the new state requirements. As a refresher, Sacramento's current ordinance requires 20% of parking spaces and new non-residential and multifamily development to be EV capable, meaning that the electrical conduit that protects electrical wiring, as well as adequate panel capacity, is installed so that EV charging station can be installed in the future without ripping out pavement or having to replace the electrical panel. It also requires at least one installed level two charger. As shown on this slide, the 2022 Cal Green EV charging infrastructure standards significantly exceed the city's new EV charging requirements. As an example, hotels, motels, apartments, and condos with more than 20 dwelling units are required to have 40% of parking spaces with some EV charging infrastructure. The required breakdown is 10% of parking spaces as EV capable, 25% as EV ready, and 5% with installed level two chargers. When staff presented our preliminary recommendations to this committee on August 16th, we were contemplating removing the limited exemption for water heating systems and regulated affordable housing where virtual net energy metering is unavailable. This was because since the adoption of the ordinance, SMUD established virtual solar program for qualified multi-unit affordable housing developments. Under this program, a portion of the money generated by solar is returned to the individual tenants via monthly bill credit. Although this program went into effect on June 1st of this year, a regulated affordable housing project has not yet had an opportunity to take advantage of the virtual solar program. So SMUD is engaging in meetings with the Sacramento Housing Alliance and affordable housing developers to discuss the program. Out of abundance of caution, staff recommends retaining the limited exemption for water heating systems and regulated affordable housing. As I will discuss in a moment, council directed staff to develop an infeasibility waiver guidance document and waiver application process for developers that can demonstrate that it is infeasible to construct a new building as all electric. Title I of the city code already includes an appeal process for the building division decisions. The updated ordinance specifies that if an infeasibility waiver application was denied, the applicant has 10 business days to file an appeal. Along with the adoption of the new building electrification ordinance, council directed staff to establish a technical panel 
to provide input into the development of a guidance document that lays out the process and criteria for the review of infeasibility waiver applications. Six meetings were held between February and August with a 14-member technical panel that was selected according to the categories approved by Council. The infeasibility waiver guidance document was developed with extensive input from the technical panel, and the document can be used by developers of new buildings to demonstrate that it's infeasible for the project to be built as all electric. Although this process will be in place by the ordinance effective date, we don't anticipate that it'll be used very often, especially since restaurants and manufacturers have off-the-shelf limited exemptions until January 1, 2026. Attachment four, the infeasibility waiver guidance document has been attached to today's staff report for reference. In November, City Council will be asked to approve it along with the adoption of the new building electrification ordinance. Today, staff is requesting the Law and Legislation Committee pass a motion forwarding the new building electrification ordinance to City Council for consideration. Following today's action, staff anticipates preparing a pass for publication staff report for October 18th and requesting adoption of the new building electrification ordinance on November 15th. During that hearing, staff anticipates requesting City Council action on three items, adoption of the new building electrification ordinance, approval of the infeasibility waiver guidance document, and adoption of a fee resolution to process infeasibility waiver applications. That concludes my presentation, and the team is available for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hurdle. Appreciate uh, your report there. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have members of the public signed up to speak on this item? Yes, I have two speakers in chambers, Chris Norum and Matt Sutton. Good afternoon, uh, Chris Norum with the North State Building Industry Association. I represent uh, about 500 builders and uh, property developers in the region. Uh, I just want to start off by saying thanks for having me and we appreciate the opportunity to be good partners with the city. I submitted a letter detailing some of our technical um, amendment suggestions. Uh, we want to um, just say that, um, you know, the industry has recognized that we are moving towards all electric and uh, many of our members are doing that. We're very uh, robustly having meetings to explain to them what these rules are and, and getting people into this. So there's a meeting, a big giant one in three days uh, that we're having. So um, I don't want that to get lost in my comments that we're, we're moving in this direction, but we still have a long ways to go in the sense that the data suggests that there's still only a very small number, less than 10% are all electric. So our concern in the midst of this pandemic and the supply chain issues that we've had is that uh, we might have builders in a place ready to go, but not being able to acquire the component parts necessary to execute, um, and that business uncertainty might cause problems in terms of fulfilling what you guys hope to be the business uh, goals of, of building those units out. In the letter I submitted to you, I uh, suggested some criteria that has actually been adopted by the county in their climate action plan that um, talks about supply chain infeasibility, grandfathering infrastructure, and cost feasibility, uh, recognizing that the, the city's done a great deal of work to put together you know, feasibility uh, components um, it still looks to me as if there's still some wiggle room in there when you would, might have these issues where it wouldn't be clear if you would be able to get an exemption or not. And I know that we want to create certainty uh, as, a, as a builder would come forward with hundreds of units. Uh, so I would appreciate the staff's and the board's consideration of some of that criteria and if there's time to put some of those more certain timelines and thresholds into the, into the uh, criteria. Again, appreciate the opportunity to work with all of you um, and thank you very much. Next speaker is Matt Sutton. 
Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair and members. I'm Matt Sutton. I'm with the restaurant community here representing the Sacramento chapter of the California Restaurant Association. We've been engaged in this issue for a long time. I know you have as well uh, for nearly two years. And I, I, I think, you know, there's definitely a long history, robust dialogue, and what's driving a lot of our comments and thoughts on the issue are all the local chef-driven restaurants that we've relied on so much in this city to help uh, revitalize certain parts of the city and the downtown core as well. So I have been engaged in the city council effort, certainly with Law and Ledge uh, Planning Commission, and then I was lucky enough to be on this technical panel, which I greatly appreciate the opportunity to do so. I think in short, uh, fire is a tool of the trade, uh, and that is what comes from natural grass cooking. And so that's of great concern to a lot of cultures and cuisines and ethnicities that we represent and house here in the, in the community. The, the technical panel was fantastic. It was very robust and it was good detailed discussion. I think it also highlighted just how complex this issue is, especially for restaurants, restaurants of all kinds. Uh, I think more questions than answers uh, came out of this. And that's not at all a reflection on staff. Staff was fantastic. And they herded a lot of cats and uh, did a great job. But I think it shows the complexity of the issue, which makes the waiver process, and again, we are we are an organization and a restaurant community that has objected to the underlying policy here in terms of uh, banning natural gas. But I believe I was a productive uh, and fair participant in the feasib in feasibility panel process. And I think what's most important to come out of that is in one of your documents uh, prepared for the meeting today, and it speaks to the 10-day appeal process. We've heard new feedback that that might not be enough time and then there's a portion that talks about continuous improvement and that talks about intent for continuing to meet discuss with interested parties track technological advances and things of that nature thank you we for your comments your time is complete will you make intent. your final comment please we would just suggest that that be firmed up beyond intent and have a timeline attached to it if we can't be excluded altogether thank you for your comments vice chair i have no more speakers uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, let me let me bring this back to the uh, to the uh, committee, and then I've got some comments myself. So, uh, board member, uh, committee member Valenzuela, uh, chair, yes, and thank you. Um, I uh, thank you, staff, for all the work on this. I want to um, understand and appreciate, especially the concerns from the restaurant community. I've heard a lot and had a lot of those conversations myself as well. I think we have a lot of work to continue to do there, and I'm sure Pro Tem Chair Gary, you have some comments in terms of a path forward. I just want to reiterate, and I'm going to start to sound a little bit like a broken record here, that I just want to make sure the timeline that was presented here today aligns with the dual plumbing ordinance. Um, we did make a commitment as a council that we were going to have a strategy in place for these plumbers, and so I know we put November 15th, I think, up on the screen, but I want us to be open. Again, we all want this to happen before December 13th when the council changes, but um, if we could try to keep these synced up in some fan manner so we know even if it's not finally approved but at least it's moving forward from law and ledge that we have a path forward on dual plumbing before we vote on the final regulation at council i just want to make sure that that syncs up and so um i'll defer to you chair for your comments on the rest of it very good thank you uh, uh councilmember harris thank you chair gara uh, so i'd like to ask staff if you have any comments about uh, what you heard from mr sutton in terms of the stress that restaurants still seem to be feeling, I'd, I'd kind of like your take on how the, uh, the talks have been going with the technical panel 
and whether staff feels pretty resolved about where we are at with the document as presented today. I thank you, Council Member, for your, your questions and uh, really do appreciate uh, Mr. Sutton's participation in the technical panel. He, along with four other representatives of the restaurants, were on that. So, you know, they were well represented on the 14-member panel. Uh, we worked in good faith over seven months and have incorporated a number of their suggestions into the infeasibility waiver guidance document. And of course, we have the limited exemption off the shelf for restaurants or new buildings uh, through the end of 2025. But I think part of, of where we have come today, and I think we're in a very good place, is part of just clarification and uh, education and discussion in that there was initially uh, quite a bit of confusion between what this new building electrification ordinance would require and what potential impact it had on existing businesses, existing buildings, or new restaurants that wanted to move to any building in the city. And you know, we've done a lot of work. Uh, we met with the Cal a Asian Chamber in recent weeks. We've, we've met with um, a, a number of restaurant stakeholders, including Mr. Sutton, to really explain that this is, of course, only new uh, construction of new buildings right. uh, and not uh, restaurants or you know, existing businesses. Okay, I, I appreciate that, Matt. I, I also found that there was some confusion out in the community about what it actually applied to, and it's only new construction buildings, correct? What about restaurant uses in new buildings? Would there be a limited exemption for a restaurant that was you know, working with a developer to locate in a new building? Yes, so a, a developer, an applicant, architect, they can come in, apply for a building permit to run gas to a, grand, a ground floor uh, restaurant or food establishment all the way off the shelf, all the way until January 1, 2026. So uh, got an additional three years to do that and put that gas infrastructure in. Okay. After that time, after January 1, 2026, if a developer was interested in building a brand new building and wanted to run gas, they would need to go through uh, the infeasibility waiver process. And we have uh, specific criteria and documentation uh, and very you know, clear uh, process that would need to be followed to do that. And so it's still possible, it would still be possible uh, to run gas, they would just have to go through that process and get an approved uh, waiver application and submit that approved waiver application with their building permit application before moving forward. Well, I really appreciate that clarification. Quite frankly, I think a lot of people will be interested in waivers, you know, and uh, maybe there won't be so much job loss for the pipe fitters after all. <laughs> But uh, you know, look, natural gas has been part of our lives for you know a long time, certainly as longer than I've been alive. And uh, you know, you can't just turn that off immediately. It's a transition time, but I think your timeline is realistic, and uh, I'm content moving it forward. Uh, thank you, uh, Councilmember Harris. Is that a motion, Councilmember Harris? Yeah, I would, I would move this. Yeah. All right, um, it's been moved there, and. Um, so um, I'm going to second it with a couple of uh, uh, suggested changes if this is okay. And, and number one, I, I do think the appeal process um, should be extended. And um, I don't know if it's if 30 days is the right number or whatnot, but um, for the large developer, I think that there's a constant communication with the city. But if you're building a, you know, a smaller facility or a smaller place, I know most of the places in my council district are generally are one-story, uh, you know, strip multi-facilities. We're trying to get a, a little small lot in, that's an infill spot. 
So I, I'm just concerned about that timing of the 10 day and making sure that we extend that time frame. So Mr. Hurdle, I don't know if you, if, if 30 days is, uh, is, is, is appropriate for that, at least for communication so that they have an opportunity for an appeal in there in feasibility waiver if it's denied. Uh, thank you, Chair. I would just say that our current practice in our building division is uh, 10 calendar days for appeals currently in our allowed appeals process for building uh, division decisions. Based on input from the technical panel, we extended that for this uh, particular process to, to 10 business days. And I would just clarify also that uh, it is that they just need to file that to say, hey, they, we have an intent to do an appeal here. Of course, the hearing will be scheduled then and the actual appeal process where they can prepare for the appeal process would, would occur after that fact. So this is just that 10 days. And what we found, our experience is that time is money for developers. No one waits 10 days. In fact, they, you know, if, if they're not happy with the decision, they come right back and say, I would like to file an appeal. So we do feel like the 10 business uh, days is sufficient time, but of course, defer to the committee on this. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Councilmember Harris. Chair, I, I totally agree with Matt. Anybody who's going to seek an appeal and their only requisite is that they file within 10 business days, if that's their intent, they can get that application in. Very good. I, I really don't think it takes 30 days just to file. Okay. To start the process. Just to start the process. And and uh, for when, and this is just out of curiosity here, uh, is there any prima facie evidence that is required in filing or is it just the submission of the intent to appeal? Uh, any applicant that's denied the waiver could file for an, an appeal. There will be an appeal fee for uh, cost recovery for staff time, uh, but no, anyone can, can file that appeal. Uh, and you know, make their case. Okay. Um, between, yeah. And I, so I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'm fine with keeping the ten business, ten business days to make sure that there's an appropriate time for, uh, for folks. And I, you, you guys heard my comments during budget and audit on, on the, the, uh, the uh, appeal cost. Uh, second, I think the, uh, the to Councilmember uh, Member Harris's point here, uh, transition time and tra understanding that this is transition is, is, I think, is a fundamental part in how we move this forward. Uh, and just as uh, Councilmember Valenzuela mentioned, that uh, it's got to be, we've got to take into account the dual plumbing is critical. But I want to take, I want to make sure staff is also taking the same level of attention to the job loss that we are, uh, that we could potentially face um, if, uh, if we don't do, do the dual plumbing appropriately. Uh, I want that same level of attention on the impact to many of the restaurateurs who, who has, uh, I think, uh, Mr. Sutton mentioned that, you know, use uh, fire as a tool of the trade, you know, and, uh, uh, and you know, everything from barbecuing to, you know, the, 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 the gas component, for, particularly for uh, walk-a cooking, is, um, that happens much in, at least in the Little Saigon corridor. I think that's a, a critical component. So I, I'd like to uh, also uh, provide some direction here to staff to, between now and when it comes to council, I'd like to firm up not just an intent, but try to get a timeline um, uh, with the uh, with the restaurateurs on the uh, the this uh, continued implementation here. Um, the other piece uh, also that I'd like to have uh, direct staff to do is um, to meet with the uh, the uh, North State BIA here on um, on uh, the the issues of the infeasibility, infeasibility waivers. Uh, particularly when it comes to uh, this, the new developments that have already, they're in the process, they're going to be in, in the middle of our transition. 
but they may have already um, uh, have gas infrastructure in line. I mean, right in the middle of that transition, I think that could be extremely problematic. So I'd like staff to look at, uh, at meeting with them on, on that aspect. And Mr. Hurdle, I don't know if you have comments on that for, for, for those subdivisions that, have already, that are already uh, moving, that are in, in that cotton, that, in that quagmire per se. Yeah, the, the, uh, thank you, Chair. The filing of the building permit is that trigger. So if they have gas infrastructure in the ground, uh, they've received their building permit. Um, so you know they can file for building permits in batches if it's a master plan community uh, that has those. But again, it is gonna be that building permit trigger. Um, you know, so we've had some discussions with uh, developers that are doing it in phases and kind of what that timing is and how we can work with them. We'll continue to have discussions to make sure that uh, you, you know, we can figure that out and, and make sure it's a seamless you know, transition for them as they move forward. Okay, it seems like they still have some concerns about sure, what have, that timing is like. Them. So if we, could, if we could make sure we meet with them on the timing, I think they're not, uh, from what I understand is they understand that this is the process moving forward. They're, they're trying to educate their members, but it seems to be that the timing seems to be a challenge. Uh, and the last thing that I, at least I saw is uh, consideration about supply chain issues. Um, you know, this, the transition is gonna, is gonna be a significant one, I think. Uh, um, and uh, I, I do believe that I think we, you know, the city, and we should look at how we become also an exporter of goods on, on this aspect of it, but, um, but we may not be. And if we're not, then the supply chain issue, I think, is, a, is of concern. So if staff could also meet with, uh, uh, with uh, our partners here, to uh, understand the concerns and maybe address a response to supply chain infeasibility and how that impacts a development. We wouldn't want to get into a position where we're starting construction and then, you know, the, we see a, a significant shortage in, in the development community trying to meet uh, the standards. So, Chair, to, to that end, I just want to share a personal experience. The ADU that you all know I'm building is not complete because I had to wait five months for a heat pump. Uh, the supply chain issue is very real. Uh, you know, it, getting supplies in this economy at this particular uh, point in time, and of course it would have been greatly exacerbated if we had had a rail strike, which we narrowly averted. But that could have caused mayhem in the building industry. So I do think that that is a point that is sensitive and real, and uh, I think it requires attention. Uh, well, you know, I think that'll kind of work itself out as we move forward, but I, at the immediate on the transition side, I, I think that's a, the infeasibility waiver needs to uh, take that into consideration. Uh, with that, I'll go ahead and um, second uh, uh, the, uh, the motion uh, if, and uh, see if there's any other comments from our committee members. Uh, seeing that, I want to thank all our staff, um, you know, all the members of the public who were involved in this. Uh, again, I think it's important to, as we move forward, particularly, I mean, I represent an area that's a lot of the manufacturing, industrial, and also uh, the community that has the great and delicious wake cooking and want to make sure that they, uh, that as we move forward, that we remind people that this is not existing buildings, that this is new buildings, and that we don't create a, a scenario where we uh, affect and maybe lose or impact uh, some of the traditional cooking that still has not found a solution for this. I wanna make sure we continue that. So with that, um, Madam Chair, if we could please uh, call the roll. Councilmember Harris? Aye. Councilmember Valenzuela? Yes. And Vice Chair uh, Guetta? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next item on the agenda.
I believe this is public comment. So your next item is committee comments and then public comments for matters not on the agenda. Any comments from the members of the committee? Seeing none, any comments from the public on matters not on the agenda, Madam Clerk? I have no speaker slips in chambers and I have no hands raised in Zoom. Okay, then we uh, will adjourn the Law and Legislation Committee at 2.24 p.m. Thanks, everybody.